The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Podcast. This is a Jack White Third Man Records history program, and I am your co-dad, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-dad, James Kaminsky. We're out here, and we're, we're two dads sitting in our living rooms amidst family, mm-hmm. amidst amidst the animal kingdoms that we have. Yeah. James, you're a new uh, father for the second time. Do you want to tell us a bit about how your life has been going? Well, I arrived... Uh, an hour late to this Zoom call with my hair swept <laughs> to one side after having fallen asleep on the floor after watching two children uh, for a day. Um, yeah. It's good. It's going well. It's going well. Yeah. It's going... Um, I'm tired. Paul, I'm very tired. Yeah. Well, thank you for finding some time to come and talk with me, James, about one of my favorite albums i think ever from mr jack white entering heaven alive we're going to be doing an album analysis and review of the new jack white record tonight well after today i feel like i've died and i've entered heaven (laughs) so i'm really i'm feeling it paul uh yeah this album came out during our kind of break hiatus whatever you want to call it for the summer and uh, i don't think we really got got to talking about it too much because fear of the dawn had come out but not this, not this bad boy. Yeah. So I'm really, really, really excited to talk about this with you, Paul. 
one could say I'm a, I'm like a tree with like a fire within me, uh, like a, it's inside of me, and I'm on fire in there. We, I, I'll phrase that better. I don't know. We haven't had really the time to talk much about this uh, record over the summer. Uh, this came out during a big, some big big life events for us. These two Jack White records, but. Man, it's a really nice thing to know that no matter what changes around us, this guy is always going to make some interesting music that will be entering our our lives. Alive. And alive. I think this one's a return to form, really. Now, we covered some of this last season in um, our Fear of the Dawn and Entering Heaven Alive album cycle origins companion episodes. So that kind of covered some of the stuff we normally cover on these album analysis and review episodes. Companion. Anion. <laughs> now, you may be wondering why we started with Entering Heaven Alive and not Fear of the Dawn. And that's just because I wanted to talk about this one. Yeah, because honestly... The rules are made up. The rules are the made up. the points don't matter. Yeah, this is Calvin Ball here. Me and Paul haven't really talked about this album a whole heck of a lot, except via text message. Yeah. So this is going to be kind of our first time discussing this, uh, at least in a in a, in a a vocal manner. Which, in a vocal That's, manner. In a vocal manner. Yeah, in a vocal manner. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is going great so far. Um, well... James, uh, this is going to be very, very fun. But before we get to all that, uh, hold up. on the floor in the air. Hold up. Oh. Hold up. Wait a tick. One damn minute, everyone. It's time for a little bit of context. Hold up is the portion of the show where I'm doing this research and I come across something and I say, huh. And it makes me think of something else. And I go, oh, that sheds a little bit of light on something I didn't really know before, but makes sense now. And it's, it causes me to stop and to pause and to say, hold up. Is this one also about Kanye? I feel like it could also be about Kanye. <laughs> okay. So, in this hold up, I'll keep this brief. But I did a lot of research for Entering Heaven Alive. And in one of the one of the interview segments that I read, there is a question one interviewer asked Jack White where they say, "Is there an Olivia Rodrigo Jack White collaboration in the cards?" And Jack responds, "Quote I'm coming of the age where I'm not that interested in producing other people anymore. That's especially true with younger artists. Maybe Dolly Parton, who has announced plans to record a rock album, could sway him, the interviewer replies. One half of me loves Dolly so much that I'd do whatever she wants, he admits. But any collaboration with Parton also runs a specific risk. Jack says, quote, it'd be too compared to Loretta and Wanda. White even turned down a request from Loretta Lynn to produce a sequel to their acclaimed collaboration 2004's Van Leer Rose. Quote from Jack, Loretta wanted to do another album, but it was so good what we did, 
I couldn't imagine going in and topping that. Loretta says, we can't top it, but we can go under it. Now, that is interesting to me for a number of reasons. The album that she put out, let's see what, what it's called here. She's wearing the dress, isn't right, she, on the cover right, of that right, album? Right, 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 right. That's what I'm There's an album she put out in 2018 called Wouldn't It Be Great, where it is kind of her wearing something more or less akin to Van Leer Rose-ish kind of look. And then, of course, there's still Woman Enough, and that was the 2021 record, and that actually had Marco Price on it, which has a great, great track called One on the Way. It's a duet between those two, which I actually really love. to France Jackie's seen in a discotheque doing a brand new dance And the White House social season should be littering and gay But here in Topeka the rain is a-falling The faucet is a-dripping and the kids are bawling One of them is toddling and one is a-crawling and one's on the way I remember seeing that record, Wouldn't It Be Great, and thinking, I wonder why Jack didn't do that with her. Because it does kind of have the aesthetic of it. And I wonder if that is the one that she asked him to do, because that would have been not long after the vault that they did together, mm-hmm. the where they did the Van Lee Rose anniversary edition. I forget what year it was, but... I don't know. I just found that kind of, to be kind of interesting. I don't know. It just was like a, huh, huh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that he that he decided not to do that. Well, did she send him down to Fist City? I have to know. <laughs> um, that is uh, odd that he would turn that down. Because he loves her so much. Right. Also, well, I guess people change. Uh, but, like, he's not one to turn down a musical project because he's worried about people judging it a certain way. Like, it's a strange thought from him because yeah, he's, he's definitely someone who would be willing to push the envelope. I don't know. It's super interesting that he would say no to that. Uh, it's also super interesting that he would say no to Dolly Parton, possibly, because, like, yeah, who, who cares? <laughs> well, it could also be the album full circle too we, we don't know which album that jack was offered or or even if that was an album that was pre-existing in fact full circle looks like it was taken the album cover was taken on the same steps of the same house that the van Lee rose stuff was taken so who knows i really don't know but the aesthetic since van Lee rose has been remarkably consistent and full circle was the first one since van Lee rose there was a long long gap there I guess that one was recorded between 2007 and 2015, so maybe that one actually was more the the one that they were pointing at. But I don't know. It's huh. uh, it's a lot of questions, but it also kind of sh- sheds a little bit of light on why those records weren't produced by Jack, you know, because I had never actually heard him talk about that before. Do you think if a legendary rap artist approached him, would he do the same now? Has he shifted to his desires to maybe produce a rapper over a rock artist. He's got such a love for Kendrick Lamar. I would find it hard to believe he would turn 
that guy down. He also talks about Thundercat a lot. So I don't know. We do know he's open to collaboration, but he's never produced a hip hop artist outside of the third man circle. I actually don't know if he, uh, he produced that one on the, yeah. in the blue series. Thundercat. Isn't Thundercat a bassist for rap artists? Oh, I don't know. Or yeah, he was talking about Thundercat a lot in this in this interview, so, uh, in this album cycle. So, it's top of mind. Uh, yeah, he's a bassist, but he does bass guitar for a lot of different rap acts. I mostly knew Thundercat from he did a collaboration with the Gorillas recently and, and Ch- Chitara. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, he comes from Thundera, yeah, and he uh, he does. Y'all remember the Thundercats. We all remember the Thundercats. This microphone setup. Moy mal. <laughs> anyway, that's been Hold Up. Hold Up. So context is everything. All right, James, what do you say we enter heaven alive? I would, but I'm a little afraid of the dawn. Well, James, there was some interesting stuff. So to pull back the, the old curtain a little bit here, I thought this research was going to be done in about five seconds because I thought, well, you kind of covered it all in our album cycle origins and we don't really need to go into it again. And, and then I started deep diving into this thing and I found out some, there, some interesting things that it actually started helping me understand why these records happened the way they did. So it was right after the Help Us Stranger tour, James, mm-hmm. where Jack decided to make a big life change. Which was the fasting thing, yes? Right. So we're talking a couple weeks, I think, or months after the Help Us Stranger tour, Jack decided that when 2020 rolled around, he was going to change his life. And it was going to be this experiment that he conducted on himself after reading these various anthropological studies of human behavior and Upton Sinclair and all this other stuff. So he's quoted in Variety magazine as saying, when 2020 started, I had changed so much about myself, he says. I had stopped eating sugar and carbohydrates and begun getting into long-term fasting and intermittent fasting. I was on a whole new regimen of daily health. And then as February hit and March came and we started to really see nobody's going to be touring and it might not happen for another year or two, that's when I started to get very disinterested in writing. So here's the interesting thing. Not only does the fasting predate the pandemic, but he spent all of 2020 not writing anything. Which tracks? Because I feel like uh, he he was mostly shuttered away doing upholstery and other things. And right. me and you were talking about, like, he doesn't seem to be doing a lot musically these sure. days, which is fine. But not that there's anything wrong not with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's interesting to me that he, when I think of these two albums, I think of them as pandemic records. Mm-hmm. But they're really not. I mean, they were, but they're not 2020 records. It's not like the world shut down. He's like, oh, I'm going to go into the studio. It was a full calendar year. And here's where it really gets, gets interesting. This means not only had he not been writing, but he was still 
heavily fasting during the SNL performance. Hmm. So that winds up being a catalyst to get him re-energized in music. And when 2021 rolls around again, or that very tail end of 2020 into 2021, that's when the songs start coming. And that's when he actively starts doing. So he talked about it in these interviews. He said that he had been on the back end of a five-day fast when the SNL thing happened. So when he was ready to go on stage, he was like, let's go, let's fucking go. And... (laughs) Like, everybody was like, whoa, calm down. Because he was saying that after a couple of days, you start to get this weird, I'm going to die energy. Uh, well, one example is and we did, a, I, I was on Saturday Night Live a couple of years ago. Thanks. Uh, I think it was a year and a half or something like that. And um, they got, we got the call on Wednesday from Lauren Michaels to do it. And we said yes. And I didn't eat until after the second song on Saturday night. So oh, I, I fasted that whole time. And uh, it's crazy because your body, the energy your body comes in with the second or third day is your body's making you go out and get food. So you, you can't sleep. You know, actually, I was up at five o'clock in the morning just, you know, pacing around. You're, you have so much energy. So I was like, uh, before that show, I was like, let's go. <laughs> and my, and my manager was like, you're going to pass out. You're going to pass out. The nobles have said to the people, you better close your public schools. And until death passes you by, you better close all your churches too. That's partly what he credits kind of with the fervent um, display we all saw on that SNL performance. And it's, I never really connected because you had talked about the fasting when we did these, um, when we did the album cycle origin things, but I never really connected. Oh, okay. He's fasting for a year, not doing any music. Lauren Michaels calls says, I need you to do this. And he's in his fasting mode. He's like, yeah, sure. Let's fucking go. And it's out there. <laughs> and he starts playing music and gets this huge positive reaction. Boom, we have two records. So fasting is a hell of a drug. <laughs> he is I mean, the way you're making it sound is that it's it's like cocaine. I I would have to imagine he's tired, but so I, what he says is the first two days are hell. And then by day three, you can't sleep because you have so much energy and don't know what to go do with yourself. So he's like, I go on runs. Um, at one point, he jokes and says he wanders the woods looking for deer. <laughs> but um, Jack, are you okay? You, are, you, are you good? It's are interesting. You- he, he was like, uh, I can't do the things Dean Fertitta does. He's like, Dean Fertitta runs, whatever it is, 13 miles every three days or something like that. <laughs> That seems a lot. He's like, that seems excessive. Um, I'm glad he thinks. I'm glad he thinks. 
you're trying to find uh, things to do with this energy. You know, I'm, I was going running, I was going for walks and writing a lot of music. And, and you're in the zone where you're, you're finding things that you, I would not have normally done this on a Wednesday afternoon. You know, this is now, I'm in a different place now. Uh, but this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, the, whatever, you're creating a scenario for yourself and I can break the scenario at will whenever I feel like it. I can go and eat some food or drink something, whatever. I'm in control of it, and uh, but I because I created it, and I can live by the sword or die by the sword or ignore the sword. You know, it shows like be- between the Raconteurs tour and this tour, his whole vibe, yeah, just shifts. And me and you were trying to put a pin on it. Like we we're like, what, what is what is different about this man? And he has clearly lost a lot of weight, but his energy levels are. Definitely, Scott, like way higher, you know, coming to terms with being public with Olivia and getting the blue hair. Paul, he pulled a ninja. Uh, he did, he did, a, <laughs> he did a, a Twitch streamer thing and, and dyed his hair blue. He's ready to play Fortnite, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he's got emotes going. Do- like there's a whole shift there in personality yeah. that, that we couldn't quite understand until we learned these things. It's strange that it didn't, it wasn't a result of the pandemic, but I'm sure the pandemic made him double down on it because he was able to concentrate on it instead of, I don't know, business to a degree. Yeah, well, he says, he goes out of his way to say that he was still thinking about third man business stuff, but it wasn't, he wasn't thinking about music. And that was pandemic, really. It wasn't that he went into 2020 thinking, I'm not going to write. He went into 2020 thinking, I'm going to change my life just so I can be healthier and all this. But yeah, yeah. well, uh, look at Boarding House Reach Jack. This tour, you look at him on stage, you're like, oh, this White Stripes Jack. This is, he's got energy. Yeah. I remember thinking during Boarding House Reach, not that it was an old thing, but it was just like, um, he looked very lonely up there. And that was my first impression of that tour. Um, seeing it in the in the one of the early shows, I just remember thinking how alone he looked up there. Yeah, and I want to reiterate that we're not trying to judge this man's appearance or whatever. You know, we're not trying to shame him or for no, anything. But, but it was he, an energy but, thing. But yeah, he he looks healthier. Not even from a weight standpoint, just from a like a mood standpoint. Everything yeah. about him looks healthier. Anyway, that, that's a lot. Well, of so I'll, I'll, I'll start here. I started, he says, uh, this is a quote from him. He says, I started off on January 1st, 2020, not eating any sugar. I was going to just do that for a month. And then the next month I stopped eating carbohydrates. And it's been, what, two and a half years now. I haven't had any sugar or carbohydrates. And as painful as that can be at times, when you're out to eat with everybody in the band and everyone's ordering creme brulee and giant sandwiches, I feel the healthiest I've ever felt. The fasting part is just another attempt to getting to more natural ideas of what things were like for early primitive man. We know primitive man went through periods of time where there wasn't any food. Our bodies are prepared for that, and the energy you get from that is pretty interesting. I did, I think, a five-day fast doing a bunch of writing for this Entering Heaven Alive record. I stayed by myself and just had water and black coffee for five days. That was it. By the third, fourth day, 
you can't sleep anymore. People think you're just slowly getting quieter and want to sleep all day long and have no energy. It's not like that. Your body's actually kicking your ass to get out there and find food. Hmm. So here's the other part that I found interesting. And I actually found a, it wasn't a Zillow listing, but it was a listing for this particular thing I'm about to read. So Jack told Esquire um, about this album's tone specifically. Part of it was me being holed up in Kalamazoo Mm -hmm. with just acoustic guitar and piano. I knew I'm not going to be writing electric guitar riffs. It's going to be creating songs from nothing. I'm in a room with no inspiration. I'm not reading the internet every day. I'm not reading newspapers or watching television. I was just in a room by myself and pulling out phrases and words here to trigger things and writing things down that might lead me down a path. I'm always trying to use different writing techniques I've never used before to see if that's a new path for me. But when I try a new technique and it works, I'm afraid to use it again. That's something I have to figure out as I get older, how much I want to attack that repeating the technique. More on this house in a moment. You talked about, you know, putting yourself in different headspaces when you write. Like, I heard that you fasted in order to, you, like, you fasted and then tried to write when you were fasting. Like, yeah, have yeah. you done other ones where you're like, all right, I'm so full. I'm going to now write a song. <laughs> or like, I haven't showered in a week. What can I come up with now? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so all of this was done in 2021, basically. Jack goes out of his way to emphasize that he didn't write any music for that entirety of 2020. Uh, until right at the end there after SNL when he felt energized and ready to rock and roll again. Uh, Entering Heaven Alive was really what came first, actually, I learned. He thought this new record of his was going to be an acoustic, mellow thing. But once the dam burst, the songs kept coming and the harder ones started happening with more fervor. He said he actually wrote a lot of the songs on these albums on bass, Taking Me Back being one of them. And that was another thing I found really interesting. When I was going through track by track, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I could hear that that was written on bass. Or when if the bass is really prominent, I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense. It's hard for me to distinguish because you look at a song like Seven Nation Army where everyone assumes it's bass and it's guitar or whatever. He's, he's used to guitar riffs sounding bass-like. But I assumed he was writing, bo- well, not assumed, from my understanding that he wrote both sets of tracks at the same time and he then did. Was, was separating them. But he was assu- he was under the assumption that most of it would be mellower, I guess. Well, yeah, so he when he started writing, the majority of them were these Entering Heaven Alive tracks, and that's when he thought it was going to kind of be just this acoustic, mellow album. But then the other stuff started happening, and that's when he realized there were two different albums going on. What would have been cool is if we got a gently version of the entirety of... <laughs> I'm so happy we didn't. Although... I am too. <laughs> but, but it was that could have been, been what we got. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, it would have been cool to hear a Sunday evening drive version of, you know, that was then, this is now. I mean, I would have taken that as a double album or something, but yeah, I'm happy we got the, the extra, the extra tunes. So he says that, uh, and this is via Esquire. I always just get in a room and see what starts coming out. What's good about that normally is that you end up with an eclectic record, which is a good thing. With the Beatles, I'm a White Album guy. I like it when you end up with a left turn on a record, he notes, letting his ideas flow freely. However, the two distinct pockets of material that had begun to form began to feel irreconcilable 
on one release. He told K-Rock he had two different playlists on his laptop and tried to let the songs tell him which record they wanted to be on. Now, we've covered some of that in the early ones. That's not a surprise to anybody, but I did find it was interesting that he had two different playlists. He was going toggling on these playlists. I also found out that uh, through the course of this press cycle, he still listens to 15-year-old iPods. He has certain iPods that have music on them that he still listens to. Um, (laughs) I just found that to be really interesting some reason well i mean i was listening to an ipod up until it got stolen out of my car (laughs) um but uh yeah because you're not a millionaire that's true although ipods are sought after because it was the only place you could put exclusively music and have just your entire catalog of music in one spot that wasn't a phone like your phone they limit the amount of storage you have on there it's also got a whole bunch of other crap on there. So if you want just exclusively 100 or like 300 gigs of your music, an iPod was the only place to do that. I don't um, think the they were giving you 300 gig, though, uh, the, on those the early last, iPods. Not the early iPods, but 15 years ago was not an early iPod. They were very sought after, which is why mine got stolen, because it was, a, it was a, an original uh nano i don't know it's strange a, a bit of i'm interested that he he's a he's an ipod man he's but. an ipod man but he also says he goes out of his way to say he listens to satellite radio and um he does call he says he listens to spotify i don't think he mentions his own service um, <laughs> but, <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, the other thing I wanted to mention in the just in, inception of this is we know that Olivia Jean was subject to some what we assume to be online bullying. I, I tried not to get involved or see or understand any of it because it seems like a bunch of nonsense. But we do know that that was happening. And through the course of that, in during the pandemic, he went public with his relationship to Olivia Jean, which seemed like a really nice gesture. I don't know if it was in response to the bullying or if it was just a a show of support a gesture of support to her i really don't know and it's sort of none of our business but it did happen and so Mm -hmm. now that this was a public thing i do think that that show of romance and particularly the marriage that followed definitely helps inform some of the tone of this record and um I'm often guilty of getting sucked into oh well that's what this is about and then closing my mind off to any other ideas but it's hard to listen to some of these songs and not think that this guy is happy for oh, once, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, and I know we're going to get into it, but on Entering Heaven Alive, there's the track dedicated to Scarlet. Uh, Help Me Along. Help Me Along is dedicated to Scarlet? Yeah. And if you listen to it with a non-judgmental ear, with the, like thinking of Olivia, you're like, oh, well, this is obviously a love song. But then if you think about it as in terms of a father... Huh. You're like, oh, this is a loving father. This isn't, like, you You could really kind of bounce back and forth. I mean, there's a couple lines that do make reference to, like, marriage stuff uh, that towards the end of, like, yeah. richer or poorer or whatever. But, um, you know, a lot of it's, like, I, I want to make sure you know that you're loved and make yeah. sure I want to show you everything that I've seen and, and I want to help you along with that. So it seems like a love song at first glance. And then if you look, at it with the the eye of like oh yeah this is dedicated to his daughter then yes you you can be like oh wow that's that's about you know, interesting a father well now same as always jack 
claims that he's writing from the POV of characters. He told the BBC that he said roughly 95% of the time he feels as if he's writing about someone else. But even he concedes around now <laughs> that uh, he can never tell what's about him and what isn't. Uh, he kind of vaguely, it's funny, he kind of vaguely calls out his own super fan, Olivia Rodrigo, <laughs> although he compliments her a lot. In this press tour, it, he brings her up at least once in an interview, but he says that um, we're in an era where singer-songwriters feel it's important to tell their listeners what the song is about and what ex-boyfriend they're writing about. And he, go, he does also say ex-girlfriend, but you can kind of tell what he's talking about. He's talking about, I mean, that Sour was, a, was about a, a guy um, mm-hmm. who was very sad about that album when it came Did I tell you I bumped into him? No. Oh, yeah. I think you did. I was yeah, at a yeah, coffee yeah. shop. I was with a friend, and she's like, "Oh, that's the guy that Sour was about." I and think I like, during one of our our music video things, that's when we looked up his uh, his <laughs> clapback music clap video. Back. Oh yeah. But anyway, um, he says uh, uh, he says that his own experiences like that are too boring, and he says that it just it bores him to do that. He feels like his own life. He, he'd, he'd rather write about characters, but you know he's coming off the heels of going public, like I said, with Olivia, and of course getting married live on stage. This is via Variety. So the same thing with getting married that night, White says, bringing it back home. I learned again, once again, from this retention of showbiz wisdom, don't pre-plan things like that because they go so much better when you just do it spontaneously and spur of the moment. There's just something about it. When you give things a lot of time, you're almost giving it a lot of time for things to get screwed up and a lot of people to get too many cooks in the kitchen and overthink and overproduce. And maybe that's the same with some of the greatest rock and roll things. They went in and did it and walked right out the studio in the day. They didn't spend nine months constructing it and trying to make a perfect song. And I'm proud that that's how we got married, because it felt real and romantic and it wasn't pre-planned or fake. You did get married on stage and I, I read the whole process of what happened and yeah. you, it, I thought it was fascinating because it, that was a surprise. Like we were just yeah. talking about Glastonbury being a surprise. Who knew about it? Yeah, no mystique there. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, Nobody knew about it. It was just me. So I didn't... Uh, it's funny because um, uh, people had seen me talk to Lala, my trim manager on stage and they thought he was part of it, you know, planning it or something. And I was actually telling him while it was about to happen, you, you should go ask... Dave Swanson, our photographer, he, he should go make sure he's over here in a minute because something might happen. <laughs> That's all I was telling him. But uh, yeah, it was just kept feeling right. The whole day felt right. So it kept going well. And I, Olivia's, uh, Olivia Jean is my yeah. wife and she, she went on before me on stage. So I thought, well, I should at least wait till her set's done. Make sure she <laughs> had a good set. <laughs> you know, could have been, maybe she had a, you know, broke a string or something. And, yeah, that would not be the night to do it. No, no, yeah. <laughs> so I get, yeah, you got to pick your moments, I guess. This is what he told Esquire as well. He's been one half of the biggest band on the planet, a troubadour, a record label boss, and a tabloid fascination, a rock god, a husband, something he became earlier this year when he got married on stage in Detroit, and a dad now to teenagers... Age has made him more accepting, he says, even of negative things. He's made it, in other words, to that healthy place. So what I'm trying to do here is paint the portrait of a man who is in a healthy place, both mind and body and emotionally. So the upbeat nature and the high energy nature of both of these records, but particularly entering Heaven Alive, is not surprising through that lens. 
I'd like to introduce him to a little song called Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Uh, <laughs> that song was written in a, you know, just whew, like that. And, oh, no, they, they recorded that in one take. And, oh, man, everybody was happy with that one. But I think, was it, well, didn't Paul and Linda, speaking of Maxwell's Silver Hammer, didn't they elope real quick? I don't know if it was spur of the moment, but they did get married very, very quickly. Yes. Yeah. So, because um, yeah, that's when all the, the newspapers had women crying going like i was supposed to marry paul yeah. <laughs> and the last of the bachelor beetles a bachelor no more paul's new stepdaughter heather was among the advance guard who battled away through the shrieking sobbing press of devoted fans who surged round the newlyweds as they made for their car um so we'll talk a little bit about the recording i actually don't have too much on the recording side of this I didn't really find much. Um, I did find that the first time back in the studio for Jack since pandemic started was for taking me back the gentle version. Mm. Uh, Jack invited only close friends back to the studio, which is why you get the the cast of characters that you do get on that song. For the first time uh, with Taking Me Back Gently, he played everyone the hard version first that he recorded by himself and then said to everyone, make a Django Reinhardt version of that. And so that's kind of fun that he had the one that he constructed and then played that and said, okay, now we're going to do that as a band. I would have thought it was the opposite, actually. I would have thought Gently would have come first and then the harder version. But they do work independent of one another. I really like that there are two versions of it. And I really like that there's two versions of it on these two separate albums because they do feel interconnected in a sunrise sunset sort of way moonrise moonset sort of way because you have taking me back gently on this album ends and you hear the intro to taking me back yes on the tail end so you hear the and so you hear the intro to the beginning of it so it's cyclical so it's constantly in a pattern so you can listen to this album and then the next album and then it just keeps going in a loop which i really really dig And then there's callbacks to Fear of the Dawn on this album, specifically with Madman from Manhattan, where they play the bridge of the song is the riff to Isophobia. Oh, I and didn't even realize that. <laughs> you're, well, no, you're, one, no one's kind of said anything. Like, I haven't seen much talk of that, uh, but it is the, it's the same riff. That's wild. Goes up. The sun goes down. I don't feel you. I feel the dawn. 
I, I didn't even connect that. That's boodim, so crazy. Boodim, 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 yeah. Boodim, 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 boodim. Yeah. So it, then you have that. That's you know, so that, cool. You have this weird connection <laughs> to Fear of the Dawn, and so they do feel like companion albums, and it does feel like there's this bright, sunny day, and then you have this dark, moon night. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a cool two sides of the same coin. Ah, it's nice to be doing this again. Where I can learn shit like that. That's fun. <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, so he, uh, he recorded on his own on this record for the first time ever really assembling everything himself, but he also says that he prefers to play with others and that this isn't something that's going to be a regular thing for him, or at least it's not something that he plans to be a regular thing, having him record all the instruments. Um, he says that, uh, the advantage of being the one man show is that he can get the sound exactly as he hears it in his head. And he says that a few times, um, relying on his experience, uh, over the years as a producer on producing this album, Jack said, part of the art form is knowing when to stop. Um, he also talks about assembling the layers of the tracks with only himself playing the instruments as only possible with his years of experience, learning how to achieve the sounds he wants to achieve. He says things like back in 1998, he and Meg only knew how to like turn up the bass. And now because he has the experience to capture his imagination on tape more effectively, plus being forced into the one man band thing because of COVID, this record became possible where he can like use what he's learned to replicate the sound of a band. And he, I think he's a little self-conscious of the fact that on the tracks he alone plays on, they might not have the same kind of swing, he calls it a swing, as a real band would. Maybe it was a good time for me to do that after, you know, whatever, 25 years or something of recording and learning about recording techniques because I'm able to actually uh, falsify that energy in, in a good way that, that doesn't sound plastic or, or, or premeditated, you know, premeditated. It sounds alive. But I think some of that comes with maybe some of the experience of knowing this mic or that speaker or whatever. He seems self-conscious about it because he also mentions like, oh, it could be perceived as an ego trip. He does seem a little like, what do people think? Are they going to think this is just me like going crazy or I, I can't work with other people, therefore I'll only work with myself? That's not the case. In fact, he seems a little trepidatious about it. But honest to God, there were some tracks that I found out that were just him that I thought were a full band. It's crazy. I mean, I get where he's coming from. Having other people's input definitely adds to the flavor of a track. Taking me back gently feels full and feel you could feel the the artistic interpretations of all of the different musicians on there. That track feels different because of that. Yeah. Um because you're different getting energy. all of these. Yeah. Yes. But at the same time, I don't think I for once thought of these albums as an ego thing. I saw it more as a McCartney Right. analog of him just doing McCartney and McCartney too. Like he's doing all of these instruments purely because he can and he will <laughs> and he's or he's got the you know the the need to get the music out there and and it doesn't feel lacking for that reason. I, if people didn't know maybe I'm amazed was a one man band, I don't think they would assume it was. Right. It's, it doesn't sound like that. I mean, no. I'm amazed. Maybe I'm amazed. <laughs> I like you better with other musicians. It's different things will happen. You, you start trying to feed off of one another, impress one another, uh, top one another sometimes. Um, and you, uh, you get to different places you wouldn't normally be. When you're by yourself, it's a little bit, 
kind of lonely and it doesn't have the same grooves. But sometimes you can get it exactly the way you intended, which is nice at times. Real quick, I just want to hit on the fact that he said knowing when to stop is a part of the art. I agree, and that is a thing that a lot of artists struggle with. And to quote a dumb YouTuber that I watch quite often, Atomic Shrimp, he says, uh, I have a tendency to fix things till they're broken. And <laughs> I like I like that phrasing a lot. And yes, uh, as an artist, I, I completely relate. Knowing when to stop is, is important. Anyway. Continue. Yeah. The album was released on July 22nd, 2022, accompanied by a London release weekend festival. There's a cool recap video where you can see the lines around the block at Rough Trade for not just the record, but the uh, so the performance by Jack. He did a little sort of mini tour in, in London for the album release. Thank you. How do you all do? You feel okay? I want to say a big thank you to uh, Rough Trade and everything they've been doing for decades and how incredible of a record label and record store they've always been. It's very nice of them to have us here. from a record that comes out today and it's called uh, If I Die Tomorrow. He went after Rough Trade to Union Chapel for a concert that was live-streamed. Would you help her with the many things that she needs from time to time and day to day? So if I die tomorrow will you give them all the love they live? And then the next day, on the 23rd of July, Jack played an intimate acoustic set at Third Man London, and there's a, there's a pretty um, Please God Don't Tell Anyone version from that performance. And it was also cool to see friend of the show, Lalo Medina, uh, introduce Jack. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for coming out to Third Man Records London. I just wanted to simply introduce Mr. Jack White. Don't tell anyone what I do or what I have done. When my father gets to heaven, please spare him the telling of the ways I've been sinning ever since the beginning. He won't understand, even if he did, I'm still his son. Please, God, don't tell anyone. One of the things we talked about um, during our album cycle episodes was that there was no vault accompaniment for either of these albums, Fear of the Dawn mm-hmm. or Entering Heaven Alive. 
for the first time since what blunderbuzz did blunderbuzz have a vault version yeah no no it did not i don't think i don't it think had there's the, it had the lightning bolt reverse lightning bolt but no no vault specific think version there's been one since i mean it's been there's been vault versions for a while now <laughs> yeah lazaretto boarding house reach yeah yeah um help a stranger dead uh, weather was there dead weather oh yeah, yeah. you got it for me <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's the one that screams when you open it i do love that it's so good i'm not a, I, I guess it's fine although i do like all the bells and whistles that come with vault versions but it's fine if there was an exclusive version i probably would have gotten it uh this time around but paul you are now the biggest sleep fan there is sleep fans are really they're, they're into hardcore sleep. yeah I, I know a couple, and I had no idea what the band Sleep was until the vaults, and now they're all coming out of the woodwork. As a bare naked lady once said, who needs sleep? <laughs> um, I'm really happy he's utilizing his London location, yes. because this, this is showcasing it in a nice way. He had a U.S. release for Fear of the Dawn, and he has a U.K. release for Entering Heaven Alive. So That's it's really, right. it's kind of kind of nice to see him utilizing it in that way i'm sure european fans are excited that he is chuffed one could say they're chuffed dead um, chuffed yeah i'm not gonna say that in, but paul will say that in one of these uh interviews he says yeah i needed a i was in like whatever it was manchester brussels whatever it was he's like and i needed a i needed a guitar shipped out and i realized and then the, the he's like the person at third man was like oh i'll just send it to the london location and he's like oh oh yeah that's handy because <laughs> that's what it started third man started anyway was a place to store his gear and now he has a place to store his gear bicontinentally which is kind of fun it is fun so the uh, album was recorded at uh, third man studio in nashville tennessee except for one song, which was recorded in his George Nelson Kirkpatrick house in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And James, I'm going to ask you which song you think that is. What's Love is gonna... Selfish. It is not. It's not? That's the only song that sounds like it doesn't I belong. I knew you were going to say that, and that's why I asked. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, all right, all right, all right. It's one you're not going to expect. All right, let me look at the... Let me look at the... All right, uh... Okay, other songs that don't sound quite right. I'm going to go with mm, Queen of the Bees. All Along the Way. All Along the Way. Wow. Which sounds like the rest of the album. Yes, In fact, it sounds cleaner than some of the things on the album. So I, I was like... At first, at first, I didn't real—I didn't know what George Nelson Kirkpatrick House in Kalamazoo, Michigan was. So I thought, is that a studio or something? So I go online, and I find a listing for it. And by the way, by the way, that house was on sale for not all that more than what we paid for our house here in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Again, I'm now living in, I assume, the undrinkable water of Kalamazoo, Michigan. <laughs> So there's that. It's not but, Flint, but yes. <laughs> but I went on Curve.com. It says, The Dream House by architect and American modernist designer George Nelson in Kalamazoo, Michigan, could not have come back on the market at a better time. This is 2015, I think. Arriving just in time for Curb's Furniture Week, this four-bedroom, 
3,500 square foot home was designed in 1955 for James and Sally Kirkpatrick, whose college roommate, Francis Hollister, happened to be married to George Nelson, Herman Miller's longtime director of design. Corresponding by letter, the Kirkpatricks and Nelson, along with his associate Gordon Chadwick, would eventually settle on a design tailored to the specific needs of the family. The Kirkpatrick house was built Taylor. between her. Was built Taylor. between 1955 and 1958, a period that is considered the pinnacle of Nelson's career, with its interiors and furniture also designed by Nelson's eponymous offices. Jack bought the house above listing price, so he he paid consider a lot more than we did, but it, it was listed for around the same price that our house was listed for. Um, Back in 2017, I remember uh, we talked about that briefly. That he bought a house in Kalamazoo, right? And that because it was in that New Yorker article, Jack White's Infinite Imagination. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that that's where he went to go and fast and write songs in 2021, or very tail end of 2020 into 2021. So we're talking after SNL. He goes on this basically like a retreat where he doesn't take anyone with him. He just goes to Kalamazoo. And what a fun name for a town. When you look at the photos, it's in the middle of the woods, so he would have been very isolated. Is that, um, is that on Krusty's, when Homer goes to Clown College, is that one of the names that, it, that in the Clown College they list off? Because I know, hold on, I got a... It's no. a hilarious name. It's a very funny name, Kalamazoo. Um, <laughs> Walla Walla, <laughs> Keokuk. Cucamonga, Seattle. <laughs> Those are the few. Anyway. Um, the album has a 40-minute and six-second runtime. Not uh, That's about average for Jack Record. Produced, of course, by Jack White. Mixed and engineered by Jack. Bill Skibby and Joshua V. Smith at Third Man Studio. Mastered by Bill Skibby at Third Man Mastering. And there's an executive producer credit to someone named Morgan Perry on this. And I, our email has taught me it's not the one we think. I found a man named Morgan Perry. A certain man. Who is, you know, he's in Canada. That's not far from Michigan. And he does like stuff, music stuff. And I thought this must be the man. So we emailed him and and, um, and he replied back, I am not the man. But I think who you're talking about is this lady who is also uh, works at Third Man. Um, I don't know why she is credited as executive producer. That is a mystery to me. I don't know what that title means, but there it is. And it's, usually uh, it's monetary, isn't it? I, yeah, I mean, I in a, in the case of like films and stuff, it's usually just like to say like it's like a thank you or something. Yeah, we paid money, so here's yeah. a producer credit. <laughs> yeah, um, Morgan, if you're listening, we'd like to talk to you, not the the other man. Although that. That man was nice to point you in our direction, but I'd like to talk to Morgan. We want to get to the bottom of this, what this executive producer credit means. The title uh, via EW, Jack says, I was reading about Elijah, the prophet Elijah, going into heaven without dying first in the Bible. I thought, interesting. Wait a second. Is that something that other people... And there were different figures in different religions that sort of skipped the death part and went straight to heaven. 
I started reading a lot of things about that. I like to write down phrases that make me think down the line. That was one of them. Entering heaven alive. Jack was obsessed with this idea of entering heaven without dying. Hmm. It's cool to see him back on the religious, on that religious tip. Yeah, which is especially interesting, too, considering he's like, yeah, just because I went fasting and stuff doesn't mean I believe in crystals or astrology or anything. <laughs> Good funny. for him. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. Somebody I, asked I, him yeah. in one of these interviews, point blank, do you believe in ghosts? And he said no. One word answer, no. Good. But he believes in the Holy Ghost. That's, I'm sure. Yeah, why not? I told you that there's a crystal healing shop that opened in Emmaus, right? Which is by me. It's. I heard you've been finding yourself waking up on floors lately. Maybe you should go there. It's very funny to me. This this shop, this crystal healing shop, opened up next to uh, two gun stores. <laughs> well, after you get shot, you need to be healed. They probably hated each other until the vaccine came around, and they both could agree that the vaccine was bad. <laughs> What's funny is there's a there's a legit pharmacy in the middle of two of them. <laughs> Um, so, so there's this, this fun middle ground of science. <laughs> Bandages. We specialize in gun, gunshot wounds. And, uh, crystal shrapnel. Oh, Pennsylvania. Please change. Um, the, uh, design and layout is credited to both Rob Jones and, quote, third man. Uh, with creative direction by Jordan Williams, who's the creative director of Third Man. And it mm-hmm. looks like uh, Jordan has had a hand in most Third Man projects from the, the last few years, starting roughly in 2020 or thereabouts. Sarah Deck did the photo design and reconstruction, which were originally taken by Nikolai Matorin, the front cover, and Ed Westcott, inside and back cover. Yeah, it's it's weird stuff that they're, they're using. They're using photos from... Uh like nuclear uh era stuff of people like uh hu- like huddling from nuclear bombs or whatever now nikolai matorin there's a couple famous nikolai matorins and one of them was a soviet ethnographer and folklorist but that i don't think is the one that did this one this is an artist um, who had created this piece in the 1960s, I think specifically 1960, as part of a series, One Day in History. And then James Edward Westcott was an American photographer who was noted for his work with the United States government in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, during the Manhattan Project and the Cold mm, War. And man from one, Manhattan. Mm, oh. Oh. That's interesting. Oh, I didn't. Re- yeah. See, this is as one of the few people permitted to a to have a camera in the Oak Ridge area during the Manhattan Project. He created the main visual record of the construction and operation of the Oak Ridge production facilities and of civilian life in the enclosed community of Oak Ridge. I gotta say, I prefer Jack cover art with his picture on it. This is the first time uh, in all of his solo work. Where his picture does not appear. I mean, it's his eyes on Boarding House Reach, so that's like that's half something. of his face. Yeah. yeah. And Fear of the Dawn, it's got him. It's got I him like, on there. I love that cover. Yeah. I. This cover's a grower for me. If this cover was something different, I might have even been more excited for it almost, because it's kind of a, um, I don't know how to describe it. 
it's got a nice rhythm about it, but I don't know if it actually reflects the spirit of the positivity of the songs particularly well. And that's interesting too, because later on, I forget where I have this in the notes, but he's asked to describe the record and he, he refers to it, I think as melancholy or somber or something. And I don't get that at all. I get more upbeat than anything, actually, even on the sad songs. Yeah. I mean, this, if I recall the description of the photograph that's on there is her doing the description of the photograph. What's it? Uh, what's the, what's the, I mean, it's called rhythm of labor, but it's, um, it's using one of those, uh, yeah. For like cotton, like not a lathe. Yeah. I want to say, yeah. Uh, (laughs) it doesn't even look like a photograph to me. It looks like a painting. There was a description I saw of it that, that had something like, you know, she was taking the strings of, uh, you know, these heavenly golden strings. The Matrix runouts appear to be relatively consistent along the different pressings, and they say on side A, it's better to illuminate than merely shine. And then on side B, it says, ask yourself if you are happy, and then you cease to be from... That's from the, t- the first track on the record, mm-hmm. which we're about to get to, James, with the track by track. Ooh, track by track. We haven't done one of those in a while. I know. I know. All right. So track one, side A, tip from you to me. Ask yourself if you are happy and then you cease to be. That's a tip. This one features Dominic Davis on bass guitar, Ben Swank on drums, Mark Watros, another name from the past on piano, his raconteur's auxiliary player during that first raconteur's tour. Uh, And I think, wasn't Watros in one of those Detroit bands too? I feel like that was a trivia question in one of the trivia things we did tam will be yelling at the speaker tam um, yell at us yeah if you yell at us loud enough we'll jack, hear it jack plays acoustic guitar percussion and, and provides vocals on this one uh, and this one also uh is engineered by joshua v smith and, and mixed by bill skibby jack and joshua v smith i like this song we actually heard this one live at the show we saw in los angeles before we heard the record. Uh, he played this one at the show we saw, James, at the uh, whatever he did. That theater was called, YouTube Theater. Right. Um, I don't love this one, but I think it's, you know what it reminds me of, James, is it's like a better version for me of Missing Pieces or something. Sure. It's got the piano in there. That's similar. I like this one a lot. It's a good opener to me. I think it does work well with opening because it's got those plonky piano and it, oh, yeah, he's plonking away. He's plonking away. Really, uh, I don't know. It feels, it's not a kick in the door like you're used to, but it, it also, it's a gentle way to, <laughs> it's taking yeah. us in gently. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I love the drumming. I love the, the shakers on this track. There's a lot of things I like about it. It gives me big white stripes energy, actually, and that may yeah. be the shakers. The whole album does the, exactly. give me white stripes energy. The whole album. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's got a great ending, too. You know, it's interesting that, this is called out in one of the reviews, but one of my favorite parts, in fact, I think my favorite part of the song is that, ooh, will 
I be alone tonight? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I was wondering, like, where the fuck have I heard that before? Like, I knew I heard that before. Do you know where that comes from, James? Why, what that sounds similar to? Mm, raconteurs? No, I don't know. So this is from the Under the Radar Review. A tip from you to me practically interpolates the ooh, and it makes me wonder from Stairway to Heaven. Oh. And that's when I was like, that's what it is. Because I would, <laughs> it does, it's almost identical. Not, I'm not saying he ripped them off or anything, but it does. I was like, where the fuck have I heard that? Okay, fair. All right. Now, the one thing that's a mystery to me about this this song is what the lyrics actually mean. And so I thought it would be interesting to actually do, it's the only one I called out in this way, to do a deeper dive into the lyrics. So it says, ask yourself if you are happy and then you cease to be. That's a tip from you to me. So that's also on that run out groove. That's a tip from you to me. Right. So he's he's somebody talking to somebody else who gave him that advice hmm okay all right and it's worked for sure i don't ask myself for nothing anymore mm. my peace is freedom from the masses because the masses cannot see that's a tip from them to me a tip from them and now we're shifting perspectives again i think my peace is freedom from the masses because the masses cannot see. That's a tip from them to me. Is that... Is that anything? <laughs> political climate? Is that... Is that no, like... No, I think it's... Um, it, to me, it sounds like it's consistent with him saying, you know, he's not going to listen to what people have to say about his music. <laughs> is, the, is the tip, like, not like a, a piece of wisdom that's being imparted, but is, the, is it like something... Is it, is it like a tip-off? In other words, is it something? Me, um, I mean, it's, it seems like a piece of wisdom to me that he's gathering from past experience. Okay, so, and now I know for sure I don't need nobody's help now anymore. Okay, so then next one. Everywhere he goes, someone seems to know. Someone's seen the truth about the things he used to do, and that's hard for you. It's so hard to be the one who knows it's true. Walking through the park, my fingers clenching tight, then I notice that I'm all alone tonight. But it's hard to know for sure if I even need to think now anymore. So it does sound like he's talking about himself to a point. 
walking through the park, my fingers clenching tight. So he's got a, he's got a fist. Then I notice that I'm all alone tonight. So he's maybe thinking he's being stalked, but he's not, but it's hard to know for sure. If I even need to think now anymore. It sounds like one of those fast runs he did where he's fast running through the park. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's more like he's extrapolating wisdom from others or or, or he's extrapolating lessons. Maybe not wisdom, maybe lessons mm. from others. Yes. That sounds right. Well, we didn't <laughs> that didn't go we as didn't. I was hoping. We didn't get anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's hard to know for sure. <laughs> if someone knows what this song is about, please pass it on. It'll be a tip from you to me. Um, but yeah, that I don't have much more to say about this one. I like it. I like tip from you to me. It's uh, like I usually have. I usually struggle with his opening tracks on his solo records. Like um, I don't love missing pieces, and I don't love three women. Isn't three? I women? don't love three women. Maybe it's just because like. Um, I have to like get ready for a Jack album. I'm about, you know, the Jack album's about to happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is one of the softer intros we get. Yeah. But, well, I guess Connected by Love is as soft as you can get. Yeah, you get the, the, the thing that's trying to communicate with humpback whales from Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> but then we get a song that I love. Track two, all along the way. And we'll say the things that lovers often do. We'll knock down, we'll leave crumbs all along the way. We'll take care of the things we share, and we'll find our way. standout i would say very 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 good <laughs> yeah so we got bass uh guitar tic-tac bass guitar and electric guitar here by olivia jean um, vocals uh and drums and acoustic guitar electric guitar bass guitar ukulele ukulele bass percussion and hammond organ by jack white <laughs> um so this is a jack and olivia jam yeah. So this must have been like right at the end there when Olivia came out to the Kalamazoo location because we know this was located at, this was recorded at that house or at least a portion a large portion of it was um which is great that he got this kind of vibe on it because it sounds like a professional studio recording and I don't know if he actually set up a studio or not in that Kalamazoo place but I love the tones on this the the acoustic guitar tones jack gets on this you talk about a vibe like you can hear those strings and and not in like that screechy kind of way it's just this really beautiful flowy kind of way another stripesy tune i mean i'm all of them have a stripes vibe to it but yeah this one also has that to it yeah consequences sound mentioned that there was a bit of finger picking reggae in this which I could actually hear. It's got that. You know what this one feels like is this one sits to me in his 
Blunderbuss Lazaretto catalog. Mm-hmm. This one feels like it's of that time, which I really, really dig. It feels a little more traditional than Boarding House Reach. It doesn't feel as stripesy as I had originally thought. It feels more Blunderbussy. Yeah. Well, he um, takes him into interesting places. Yeah. He starts in one place and ends very differently. I really like the musical changes, the shifts, the tonal shifts that go along in this one. Actually, it go along in a lot of the songs in this album. He shifts tone quite a bit. When I think I'm about to get bored of a thing, he shifts it to something that I'm like, oh, well, that was a cool left turn. Yeah. To quote him on the White Album. <laughs> right. Well, he And not just shifts it, he shifts it up. And that's something I noticed going along and doing my reactions to these tracks. I noticed that there's often points in the song where it will take a, a turn, but he'll climb higher, whether it's in key or whatever, just in his, uh, his approach to the vocal. And that's unusual for him. There's a point in this song where it's during the we're not dumb we'll leave crumbs all along the way where it starts to actually climb in key all along the way and then it's it keeps getting higher and the higher and higher and then we we hang there in that higher place for the cut like a buffalo bump bump Yeah, so yeah, that's during the second bridge where the hook actually changes and we get the cut like a buffalo organ thing again, which I, I adore. I don't think we've heard that since The Dead Weather. And honestly, when I heard this track, I went, this is the jack I've been waiting for. Like this song, I was not to be one of those people like <laughs> who didn't like Boarding House Reach or something, but this is my speed. This whole album is my speed. And this song is like, okay. It was like, like this is what this is what i like about him this beautiful melody and this really hooky thing um you know throughout it and there's just sonic variation and maybe that's one of the strongest elements of the things is the contrast is the source of its power it goes from quiet to this big bright groove and and it builds appropriately it doesn't ever get to that spinal tappy stuff that I normally check out of on Jack White power ballads, like Would You Fight For My Love, they all succeed for me on this on this record. Yeah, I think we differ a little bit on that, but we've discussed that through album, uh, <laughs> album analysis of, of years past. However, I do really, I dig this one, and I dig the, uh, the electric instrumental kind of portion where he, yeah, the shifting, the tonal shifts, great. Blunderbuss, Lazaretto, I'm in... Yeah, he plays a lot of different instruments on this. Like, <laughs> he plays drums, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bass, ukulele bass, percussion, and Hammond organ. Like, that's really cool. And and I would have never thought that this was a mostly a solo thing or just him and Olivia Jean. Like, I never would have guessed that. It sounds like a full band. Yeah, and the acoustic is really beautiful. It's plucking a good tune. Now, as if I wasn't gushing about this record enough, we come to one of my three i like i have three songs that are tied for my favorite song on this album this is the first of those help me along track three. Oh, love it if you help me along i will promise to love you help me along and i promise to tell you how i feel all along i'll keep nothing else from you help me along and i'll help you as well 
we had already previously discussed this. I believe it's it's dedicated to Scarlet, and it is. Um, if I was to point to any Jack White song that could be a first wedding dance song, oh. I think this would be one of those for me. If it if it wasn't like four and a half minutes long, that is an irritating amount of time for a first wedding dance. <laughs> but. <laughs> But it's a lovely tune that's very positive, and you don't typically hear a lot of that positivity in his in his music. Um, and it's it just feels very loving. And depending on how you're reading into the lyrics at the time, you know it could be of a lover or of a of family. But you know there's a love you can feel regardless. Yes, in this song that that really shines through. I love this one a lot. Uh, I'll tell you a quick Susanna story with this record. So I always inflict every new Jack album on her. Although I didn't play her Fear of the Dawn, actually. But when this album, when I heard this album the first time, I, I was so in love with it. And I had her in a car. She was in a good mood. We were going on a lunch date. And I said, I'd like to play you two songs on this because I think you'd like them. And this was one of them. I wanted to play her this one and I'll let you guess the other one. Can you guess the other one I thought would be up Susanna's Alley? Queen of the Bees? No, yes, that one's... you're right. Is it really? It was Queen of the Bees. You got it in one. And let me give, also give you another uh, hint. She did not care for either of these, but she liked every other song on this album, and she liked every song, every other song on this album so much that A, she wants to talk about it on the show, so we should have Susanna on because she wants to okay. talk about it. Yes, but also B, she's doing an animation uh, to um, Taking Me Back Gently. Oh. Uh, in one of those old rubber limb cartoon animations. It's um, fun. And it's, it's really super fun. But anyway, I thought she would like this because I was like, oh, well, it's sort of like happy and tucky and stuff. And she didn't take to it because she felt it, it, it didn't, she felt Jack's whole thing, it felt forced knowing Jack's Jackisms and stuff. But I actually found this to be very genuine. And much like Queen of the Bees, which we'll get to, it felt as though to me I could hear him happy. Genuinely, mm-hmm. truly happy on this song, and it spoke to me in a big bad way. This one is maybe the most McCartneyish thing he's ever written, and honestly, it's the more realized "Love Is the Truth." "Love Is the Truth" is like half a minute or whatever. That was never designed to be any more than a Coca-Cola thing, but like this to me is that fully fleshed out and realized. Yeah, it's the positivity I think shines through in both of those tracks. I think I like the hook more in Love is the Truth, musically. Sure, but that... Oh, yeah, no, it's beautiful. That's yeah. so unusual for him. And that's it's really hooky, but that's so unusual. Yeah. It sounds like a string quartet. It's actually not. It's Fats Kaplan twice, and of all people... Can you guess the other person? Uh... It's not going to be Lily if if you're saying guess the other person. It's Fats Kaplan a third time. He's a he's is a it really? It's, he plays violin, viola, and quote strings. <laughs> so he Fats Kaplan is a one man trio in this, and it sounds like not an orchestra, but it sounds like a string quartet. It does. It's beautiful. I thought it was a string quartet, so I'm I'm actually really happy. It's just. It's just fats. It's just three fats. It's just three fats. I'm happy fats is back. Let's, oh, get, so let's get more fats. Let's fatten it up. The notes 
on this it starts off on or even it starts off on an upbeat where it's bam 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 but the, the, the uh, there's something about it it's just it feels jolly it feels happy I yeah. feel, feel you're right yes uh it features acoustic guitar by pokey lafarge uh drums by patrick keeler which again you wouldn't necessarily think you don't think patrick keeler is soft mccartney tunes um, electric piano that's the Warlitzer solo which is my personal favorite part of the song by Dean Fertitta is kind of echoing it but uh, you also have mark rotros on additional keys olivia jean on percussion so she's doing the shakers and stuff mm-hmm. quincy mccrary plays um piano on this and jack plays some percussion Warlitzer piano as well electric piano and that's a vibraphone so jack is doing the vibraphone thing along with dean fertita Back when we spoke with Fats about Jack's production, he talked about how Jack's ideas as a producer would seem kind of strange at the time. And then when he would hear the finished product, he would go, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what it should have been. I'm going to, again, put on the hat of the guy who's complaining on the internet, but I haven't really felt that way during the last few albums. This song and this album makes me feel that way. Oh, that's exactly what it should have been. This is, this is, that's it. It all fits together so well to me, this whole thing. It does. Excited about this song. Love this song. I also called out the For Richer Poor line. That's got to be an Olivia thing. After the bridge with Dean's fun solo, it definitely breaks into some more marriage-specific, or at least lover-specific lyrics. Which I know, uh, I heard some mixed reviews on some of the forums we follow where they were saying that the... You know, he was pulling from some pretty well-trodden metaphor, uh, like richer or poorer or whatever, but eh, whatever. I dig it. Yeah, I do too. I, it doesn't bother me. In fact, it's, it's weird. It doesn't see. It doesn't read hokey. I don't know why it it's, doesn't read hokey. It just doesn't for me. Yeah, well, it's hokey Lafarge. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I gave you the, the full epic <laughs> man on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Drunk Santa's back (laughs) Alright James well we're not quite done with side A but I think we're going to call it here for part one of the discussion here today we'll pick up next time with Love is Selfish now what we started last season during our Lola Kirk interview was we started to air the audio of concert experiences of some of our listeners And so we would like to do that again here. We actually have some audio that was uh, sent in from uh, from a few of our listeners, which we're going to play here. And, uh, you know, we'll go sort of right into the outro credits from that. But we'd like to thank everybody for joining us back 
here again in season what the hell are we seven season seven i don't know man (laughs) season longer than ben thought we'd be on the air (laughs) it's been a good long healthy not so healthy (laughs) length of time we've been doing this um (laughs) but we're we're back at it and as long as people still continue to tune in you know we'll still try and make these shows for you we don't know if this is going to be the kickoff to the season or not yet i actually don't know if i will be a father for the second time myself but by the time this comes out so it's going to be a hectic back half of the year we uh we hope everybody will bear with us as we navigate this uh this world um <laughs> these in these unprecedented in these times. unprecedented times we're gonna try and put in a little bit of a backlog here james James looks like he's been frozen or like encased in amber and has just been recently drilled um, by a, a by, by a digger <laughs> by uh, by a Dodgson Grant's like Jurassic me. Park. He's a digger. What did you Oh. Oh. God. All right. Well, that was a narrow. <laughs> Can I tell you uh, I watched I had I at one point Ian Malcolm before he is fired. He points at Dodgson and he goes, Dodgson. And I didn't know it was Dodgson when I saw it. And I rewound that thing like four times and I had no idea what he was saying. And I never put on the subtitles. (laughs) And now that you told me it was Dodgson, I'm like, oh, of course it was Dodgson. (laughs) I was for a second. I thought he was going to say, we've got Dodgson here. (laughs) (laughs) See, everybody cares. Anyway, is that I, why they did it though? Because like, because Nedry said, "See, no one cares," and now everyone cares. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We hope that you had a great summer. If this is indeed our first episode back, we don't know. Um, hey, how many yearbooks have you signed, Paul? I, high school has really made it impossible seem... to have a great summer. Ever yeah. Again. Well, yeah. They, no, it really made it seem like signing yearbooks would be. Um, a bigger part of my life than it has been. Um, one thing you can get James for his baby sprinkler and me for my reverse baby golden shower is you can rate and review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, that would be nice. I, you know, we, we, we haven't, we haven't put out a call like this in a little while. You should do that though. Please, uh-huh. shower. <laughs> Please, it does. It does help. We like reading the feedback. You know, is is nice. A lot of you send us emails, and that's great. You know, we love hearing from everybody. I mean, really, however you want to share your experiences is just fine with us. But it would be nice. You know, it'd be if, nice. It'd, be, it'd nice. be nice if you called every once in a Wouldn't while. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? I had that song. I was playing Pet Sounds with my new 5.1 setup so fucking loud the other day. Susanna was gone. I had the whole house. It, it can't rattle yet because I don't have a subwoofer, but it, the whole house was loud. And I got this banging on the door, and I, <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? And I, didn't, I couldn't get to my phone quick enough, so I go to and I open the door and just... With Brian Wilson, Mike Love's voice, just 
firing away at this poor lady who was just trying to tell me that I had accidentally taken her recycling bin by mistake. She's like, <laughs> she looks like the man in the cassette ad where his tie is flying. Dolby <laughs> <laughs> Digital Surround. Uh, well. But it was like, wouldn't it be nice? It was like this, this really positive well, thing. I just want you to know, mm-hmm. you live in Portland now. I guarantee you this is not the first time that's happened to her. <laughs> it's not to- <laughs> She's opened a door to your pet sounds blaring at her really loud. Right. These the original been- stools used on pet sounds. Wouldn't it have been really fun if I had the Dolby Digital Surround sound that... that- that sound just as every single track on my iPod that got stolen out of my car. <laughs> so somebody looks through that. <laughs> thousands of them. That and a bunch of lost noises. Um, anyway. I used to have that track on my iTunes. <laughs> I did, actually. I so, so every now and then. I'll, I'll keep some of that in. We love y'all. Thanks for joining us. Here's some reviews. And we'll talk to you all soon. We'll see you next time. On the third. <laughs> Go on, say it. Man. Podcast. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, we, we finally found the energy. We're fucking done. And we finally found the energy. I'll be looking for a home. Oh, fuck. That's right. We do that. Shit. Yeah, James, where will you be looking for a home? In Kalamazoo, obviously. Kalamazoo in a house that I probably could have... I don't know about bought, but at least bid on. <laughs> Is that where you're looking for a home? We're both looking for homes in Kalamazoo. I'm looking for a home wandering the woods, searching for a deer to murder, which he says as a joke multiple times, which means he either thinks it's hilarious or he actually thought about it. Oh, yeah. Or maybe he's a part of Biosyn Park. And he's out hunting deer like a like a dinosaur. You made a promise to a di- dinosaur. Please God, don't tell anyone what I do or what I have done. When my father comes. Hello, Ferdinand Podcast. This is Ariane, and I'm um, going to talk about my experience at the July 20th show at the Olympia in Paris. So I saw Jack three times this summer, and it was my first time, um, or my first times, seeing him live in an actual concert venue. My first time seeing him being um, the London Ferdinand opening, which was an incredible experience, but not quite like actually seeing him in a concert room with all the necessary pageantry that there can be. Um, This is mostly unscripted, so bear with me while I trudge through everything I have to say, because lots of things happened that night. Um, So July 20th was the third out of three nights in Paris. Uh, right before his London weekend celebrating the release of Entering Heaven Alive, which you could feel in the setlist, which I'm going to talk about later. So the opener was Amdu Mokhtar, which is a Tuareg rock band from Niger, if I'm not mistaken. These lads were wonderful. 
Um, there was a very different atmosphere when they played um, between the first and the second night I saw them. Because I saw them, um, I also saw Jack on the 19th, the night before. Um, maybe it was because of a horrible heat wave we were, we were going for at the time, but MJ Mokhtar weren't very chatty that night, um, which was very different on the 20th. They kept calling for the audience to clap, to sing along, to dance, just to have fun. It was really nice. They were having a great time and we were too. I highly recommend you listen to them. Um, their last record, Afrique Victime, is a masterpiece. And their other stuff is really good as well. Um, so let's talk a bit about the Olympia and the atmosphere in the crowd now. Um, it was my first time seeing Jack with a French crowd. Um, my first time seeing him in concert was in London at the Apollo. Londoners were very, very good. As Jack said that night, always fresh, never frozen. But French crowds are just as feisty. Very, very passionate. Everyone was jumping around. Lots of crowd surfing during the encore, especially during Seven Nation Army, as you might have guessed. Um, French people don't always speak English very well, but that didn't stop us from singing our hearts out. Um, we sang quite a few riffs as well. I've heard that it's quite a French thing to do that, but Jack made us sing the riff for Studies She Goes, the bass line. It was a very fun experience. Um, one fun thing about the Olympia is that when you're in the pits, the ground shakes when you're jumping around and you could feel it, feel it in your bones. Wonderful experience. I personally was at the barrier, on the far left of the barrier, kind of in front of Daru, next to Dominic and Jack. Quite a nice place to be, to be fair. Though I couldn't really enjoy um, poor Quincy, he was hidden behind his keyboards and whose keyboard sound did not really show up in the left-hand um, speakers. So I kind of missed hearing him, but I heard him way more um, in the Arte broadcast and uh, live recording that is available on YouTube for all to see. Check it out. It's wonderful. Um, so very nicely placed. I couldn't really see what the audience was doing, but I had full view of the band, which was absolutely wonderful. Um, so regarding the set list now, so quite a classic Jack set list, if I say so myself. Lots of crowd favorites, old and new. He started off as usual with um, Taking Me Back in Fear of the Dawn, then he moved on to Dead Leaves, which was, yeah, it's a classic. It's a bit overplayed, but it's so good. You can't really stop it. And his solo during that song was... Mwah, chef's kiss. Um, moved on to the White Raven, which is also wonderful live. They, the band just like draws out that really like smooth blues intro. It's delicious. Really, really nice to hear. Um, during White Raven's intro, he did a lovely speech on how much he loves playing the Olympia and how much he thinks French people respect the arts, which very flattering to hear. Thank you, Jack. Um, and then he just flew our ears uh, out. It was wonderful. Um, generally, Jack seemed to be in a really good mood that night. Um, all three nights I saw him, he was tip-top shaved. In London, he was very playful, a bit more chatty, maybe because, you know, he was in front of a crowd of English speakers, which wasn't necessarily the case in Paris. Um, he did talk to us a bit, but a bit less. 
um, less playful, much more like full-on rock energy, which you might have seen if you saw the video up on YouTube. Um, that the band, which I thought after having a whole Europe tour, I thought they would be absolutely exhausted, and maybe they were, but that did not show. Everyone was in wonderful shape. Dom was doing little little walks on stage, especially during Astro. Check that out in the video, it's wonderful. Daru, as always, was a beast. Um, he seemed to be having a wonderful time with the little egg shaker during the acoustic bits. Great, um, great thing. Speaking of acoustic, that show was very acoustic heavy during the middle part. Um, I'm guessing because they were playing the full Entering Heaven Live album in the next few days, they must have, you know, used the opportunity to practice a bit, and it was great to hear new songs. All Along the Way, A Tip From You To Me are both some of my favorite songs of his on the last two records and hearing them live, hearing them for the first time was absolutely heart-wrenching and he just, after playing those two gorgeous songs, he just, waste, he just went straight on to playing We Are Going To Be Friend, which was very mean of him. How can you not cry after this triad of ballads? Um, that's not nice, Jack. Stop making us cry, please. Just kidding, I quite liked it. Um, so, some little fun bits in the concert. Um, the Olympia rant was delightful. Um, seeing just the band interact as a first-time Jack concert goer, just seeing them talk to each other, communicate, play with the songs is such a treat. Um, the best part of the night, I think, was during Steady's to Go's where he made us all sit down, which he had done for the first time the night before, when some people in the pit just started doing it for some reason, and he found it funny, and he made us all do it. And he made us whisper the call and response during said as she goes, which was great. Took us a few turns to get used to it, but we got into it eventually. And uh, after, after a bit, he just left his microphone and started singing a cappella and I must have been one of the few like maybe 30, 40 tops lucky bastards who actually heard him singing at that point. It was so special to hear his voice, if I may say so, raw. A very, very vulnerable moment. It was wonderful, especially during as powerful a song as steady as she goes. Um, the must the most fun bits of the night for me um, were very personal and I'm going to talk a bit more in detail about that right now. Um, I'm going to tell you the handkerchief saga. So a few weeks before the concerts, I set off to make the band um, some little presents. So I'm, I embroidered them all little handkerchiefs that I found in an antique store in France. Um, little ch chain stitch handkerchiefs with their names and little drawings on them and I put them all in little envelopes and set off to give them to the band in one way or the other. I'm very glad I gave them um, on the last night because I have that memory engraved on YouTube. Not engraved, but, you know, metaphors. Um, for posterity, which is glorious. So when I was queuing out with my friends um, before entering, we spotted um, David James Swanson, who was doing little video interviews of fans. He was out with his phone and he was asking us, you know, basic questions. 
Yes. How long have you been a fan? How many times have you seen him live? Any songs you'd like to hear tonight? Very nice guy, very nice chatting to him. I still don't know what he was filming for, so if the videos ever come out, you will see them, but for, for the moment, it's very mysterious. Anyways, um, I was out there with my little, my four little envelopes with the handkerchiefs in them, and my friends ended up being interviewed by David, because um, they were closer to the barrier than I was, and they ended up very gently pushing me towards him. He thought I wanted to be interviewed, which was a nice add-on, and he interviewed me, basic questions, I answered, very nice guy. Um, we talked a bit about the Black Bat Licorice album cover, single cover, because he took the pictures. Fun fact, it dom it's Dominic's son on the cover. Little tidbit for you guys. And I asked him if he could pass the handkerchiefs on to the band, and he said yes. So he got them, he left, we entered the room. I forgot about the handkerchiefs because I was too hyped up about the concert. And then, after the third part, the first part ends, you know, the curtain goes up, Jack's out in his flu box, everyone's looking cool, and my blue handkerchief is dangling out, is dangling out of Jack's back pocket. Um, I'm saying this quite calmly now, but at the time, believe me when I say I freaked out, and the rest of the concert was slightly surreal, because every time I looked at him, I saw the handkerchief that I made. Um, and Dominic was also wearing his, and Dominic was wonderful. He's been on the show. Longtime listeners have maybe listened to that episode and seen how nice he is. He was just as nice to me during that concert. He noticed me in the pit. I'm guessing David must have shown the videos to the band, um, because they recognized me. Um, Dominic saw me. I was most more or less in front of him, and he kind of turned his back to me to show me that he was wearing the handkerchief in his back pocket, which was so sweet of him. He gave me his pick, like specifically walked up to me and threw it to me, which was a very stressful experience, but I got it in the end. I got it. I had to wrestle it out of another girl's hand, but it was mine. And so, remember how we said that David Swanson asked me what song I wanted to hear, and I said Flag Bat Licorice, which is why we talked about the album cover. And they played it, and at that moment, which I did not notice at the time because I was looking elsewhere like an idiot, but my friends mentioned it to me, and I saw it afterwards in the concert video. Um, Dominic pointed at me in the crowd, so I don't know if they played it because I requested it, but I like to believe that they did, and it's a very nice memory for me. Um, the final episode of the Handkerchief Saga is Jack, um, at the end of the show, stepping off of stage and giving his back to me, which I have mixed feelings about, you know, because I made it for him, but nonetheless, um, as a friend said, very Elvis move of him to give it back to me, very nice, um, of course I kept it, it's hanging out in my denim jacket pocket now and I will treasure it forever along with the memories of that night so yes that was the handkerchief saga there's a little more to it but I won't annoy you with the rest um wonderful show wonderful experience for me for the entire crowds 
wonderful way to end the European tour, I think. And if you want to see Jack live, if you're thinking about it and you can afford the tickets, please go. You will not regret it. Please, please go. That's it for me. Paul and James, this is Kyle. I wanted to send you guys another audio message more than anything because it's easier than sending and typing out an email. But I uh, wanted to give you guys an update. I got to see Jack White again for the third time on this Supply Chain Issues Tour. But I had the opportunity to see him in Chattanooga for the first acoustic show that he's done on this tour. And I am blown away. It was incredible. First off, let me back up for you just a little bit. I got news about it. I signed up for the vault the day before. I was able to get in and get tickets early. And then when I found out later on when the general tickets went out, most of them were already bought. So it was almost completely sold out just by vault members. So if that sets the stage for you, it was a very Jack White-centered crowd. People that weren't just trying him out, but people that were all about Jack White anyways. So of the 850 people that got to go, it was a crowd that I felt like appreciated and knew the experience, just how special this experience was that we got to have. A couple things that uh, noticed early on in the show, I read recently in the Batman DC universe that they've actually named the Joker Jack White. And it appears that Jack is really buying into this. The stage opens up, the curtains open up, and Jack is in a purple suit, very reminiscent of the Jack Nicholson Joker. Uh, so, man, it seems like he's playing up to that. And, I mean, who could blame him? He, he can do stuff like that. Quincy was in very rare form. I thought the, the solo acoustic highlighted him very well. His piano playing, the, the singing that he does on it. When you're doing acoustic, you're in Chattanooga, that, that gospel soulful voice of his and even the way that he plays, it stood out and it complemented the music so well. Dominic and Daru, great as always. They were the backbone. Uh, highlights of the show, I tried to keep count as best as I could. He did six songs from Entering Heaven Alive, the new album. He started off the first two with the, the first two songs of the album. You start to think, and then, okay, is he going to run through the entire album like he did in London when the, when the album released? And then he led into Dead Leaves and the Dirty Ground. We know Old Daddy. He plays it at just about every show. But to hear it acoustic, even 
the crowd appreciated, one, this isn't going to be the typical run through the album show, which is not a Jack White thing to do anyways. And it's going to be a little different because, man, none of us have ever heard Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground the way that it did. The highlight from the album for me was him playing, was Jack playing uh, Please God, Don't Tell Anyone. That's just one of my favorites. It sounded great live. Uh, some other highlights of the show. He played Old Enough by the Tours, and it was dedicated to LJ. Uh, Little Jack was apparently there. I didn't get to see him, didn't run into him, but that was neat that, uh, that he was there to watch as well. Uh, playing uh, The Rose with the Broken Neck off of the Rome soundtrack. You guys covered it last season. That was a highlight. It was a rarity, something you don't hear from Jack often. And as soon as he was done playing it, he said, hey, I think we're going to run back through this one a second time and let's play it a little bit slower. So they actually played it twice. And I'll even admit the second time I thought was better than the first time. But still, just a neat opportunity. Again, the off the cuff, no set list approach. Uh, You know that wasn't planned. And Jack just wanted to do it. So they did it again. And it was great. Maybe some more of the acoustic songs that we've seen uh, from the previous time over the Lazaretto tour when he did the the acoustic sets. Uh, Same boy you've always known, Temporary Ground, Love Interruption. Played Blunderbuss, which he's only pulled out a handful of times on this tour. That was another highlight for me. Uh, Maybe my favorite moments, though, came right after the, or right as the encore was starting. Jack came out by himself and the rest of the band stayed out. Daru actually came out and sat in the in the crowd with the rest of us for a couple songs, which I thought was awesome. But he sang Whispering Sea by Loretta Lynn, which was beautiful and done just by himself, and then went into uh, You've Got Her In Your Pocket from Elephant. Uh, it's always an emotional song, I feel like, and it very much was so even him doing it by himself. He calls out the rest of the band and says, okay, we're going to liven it back up just a little bit. And they did so playing My Doorbell, uh, another one, another White Stripe song that he doesn't play live that often. Closed it out with Carolina Drama. Uh, maybe as expected, I don't know, but it's great, especially when you're in Tennessee and they talk about packing up and heading to Tennessee. That's where the escape was. So that was good for the crowd. Uh, it was a beautiful show. Very well done. Uh, very crisp, but also off the cuff all at the same time. But uh, wanted to let you guys know it was a great experience, great show. If you're in Santa Fe and you're looking forward to it on Jan- or September the 29th, you you won't want to miss it. It'll be a great opportunity. But hope you guys are doing well. Hope your families are doing well. Thanks. Y'all have a good one. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at thirdmencast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. 
Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time. Scrummy. Welcome back to our song. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. (laughs) Just a couple dads. Just a couple dads sitting in their houses. (laughs) Um... Oh, that's the cat. What the fuck is that?